Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of Lit AF with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. Today, we have a returning guest, but she's coming back in a very different capacity. Her name is Chelsea Reif, and what she's talking about today is healing her anxious attachment style. This is a client story, and she really goes in deep on why she wanted to heal her attachment style, the things that really made the difference in healing her attachment style, and some of the like huge realizations that she had along the way. It's so good. I got chills so many different times during our conversation because she goes so deep and she shares so much. And she's really talking about very like personal but common issues for the anxious preoccupied attachment type. So if you have this attachment type or if you're adjacent to this attachment type or if you're dating someone with this attachment type, highly recommend this episode for you. And just a little bit more about Chelsea. She is a podcast coach. She hosts her own podcast in my non-expert opinion. And she is just a true delight. She is a reflector in the human design system, if you're familiar with that. And I just really enjoyed working with her. And it is such an honor to have her on the show today. So with that, let's get into this week's episode. Chelsea Reif, welcome to the show. I'm excited to hear your story about healing your attachment style. Hello. I'm so excited to be back. Part two. Yes. In a very different story. <laughs> very different story. Chelsea was on the podcast before. I will link that episode below because it's so fun. We talked a lot about manifestation and travel. And this week is going to be a client story. I'm so excited. I'm, I, you have done so much work. So I, I'm just really excited to highlight all like the change and transformation that you've been through. And I can't wait to tell how you were such a big part of that transformation. So, oh my God, like, can't wait to chat about it. Yes. Okay. So, first, let's just talk about your attachment style. So, which attachment style do you really resonate with? The one I resonate with most is anxious attachment. Excellent. And what would you say are the characteristics of that attachment style that you were displaying before you started doing this work? So, the one thing that really came to mind was the filling in the gaps and mind reading and making everything mean something where to the point of like looking at someone's actual text and being like, wait, they put two emojis. That yeah. must mean more than the last one they sent that had zero emojis. Or oh my they took <laughs> they took 10 minutes to answer this text and yesterday they took three hours. Like what happened between yesterday and today? Why are they being oh, so different? Tracking. Um, calculating so much imaginary math yes yeah a lot of imaginary math and a big body reaction in my stomach in my gut like anytime Mm. i would be triggered it would actually trigger true anxiety in my (gasps) stomach i would feel like i would have to go to the bathroom or like lay down or get a cramp and it was just very overwhelming because it would be truly what it felt like the tiniest thing that would send me into a spiral so those were huge reflections of the anxious attachment style and constant reassurance being needed. Like Mm. I really felt like any partnership I was in, I constantly needed to be 
validated and reassured that they were still interested and that, you know, what did they like about me that week and constantly seeking that out. Mm, mm, mm. Which is like, I love that you share that you felt it in your body <laughs> because it, it was like physically manifesting in your body. And it was like, you had to take care of it. Like it wasn't just yes. a, and now we're just going to keep moving forward through life. It's so interesting because I feel like anxious attachment really can resonate or like live in the gut and that can really take yes. a toll on just your quality of life. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I remember I had like a, a very triggering situation a few months ago and I had like a panic attack at the gym mm -hmm. and I was like, I don't have, I don't identify as an anxious person in, in any other area of my life. I feel very mm. confident and secure in my friendships, with my family, with my work, like truly every other aspect in the wheel of life I feel very confident in. So yeah. it was very interesting to see that this one area of my life when it came to romantic relationships would send me into spirals mm. where having a panic attack at the gym is so not like mm. in the real what I thought would ever happen to me. And so that's when I knew like, yeah, this is something that's pretty like serious. Like this is something uh. I can't really ignore anymore because it does take uh. over my life. And eventually if I want to date someone, like I need to understand what, what I'm doing here and how to fix it. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. I love that. And then also what you mentioned about like the tracking and the calculating that is like such a common anxious preoccupied behavior. Oh, Anytime gosh. you find yourself like calculating like, okay, if he texted 10 hours ago, then I'm going to wait 10 hours to send yes. another text. Like, oh my God. that's when you know that you're, you're like overthinking, you're, <laughs> you're worrying too much about how you're presenting. Like yes. you need to get back into just like, okay, in this moment, how do I want to respond? Right. A hundred percent. And anyone that uses WhatsApp, there's a feature, don't know if this is helpful or not, but if you like swipe on the text, you can see when they read it. So <gasps> then I would do even more math of like, okay, wait, he read it oh at two, God. but he answered at eight. That's a six hour gap from when he saw it. Like, what does that mean? What, what was the six hour gap? Da, 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 da. Um, and the whole spiral will just start again. And then you're like filling in the blanks and yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah. That's really tough. That takes a toll on you. Yeah, it does. And I remember when I was dating one of my exes, he was definitely secure. Mm -hmm. And I remember spiraling one day because he was not texting back. I was like talking to a friend about it. Like he's pulling away. He's backing off. Like I don't know what's happening. And this is after we had decided to move in together in Germany. And so mm -hmm. I was like, really bad timing. Like, why is he pulling away right before we move in? And then he texted like, I'm so sorry. My grandma is like on her deathbed. Like we just found out and I've been at the hospital all day. And I was like, oh, okay. I need to start rewiring my thinking because I literally almost spiraled and sent him this text of like, you know, if you don't want to be with me, just let me know and like, oh just be God. honest. And I was like, thank God I talked myself out of that. Cause you can yes. you imagine he's like, I've been with my grandma all day, like basically yes. saying goodbye to her. Yeah. He's like, I got to do me right now. I need you to do you. <laughs> so insane. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and I just want to add to you that, like, yes, this is not healthy behavior. But the reason, I mean, there were some solid reasons why you picked up this behavior. Like, you didn't just, like, decide one day, like, okay, this is how I'm going to react around right. what I'm interested in dating. It's like, no, these were outdated strategies that you were using in your childhood and that you were probably programmed to use to interact with people that you're interested in because this right. is an area of your life that you really really care about right like it's yeah it's an important thing for you so 
yes, behavior can be sometimes like characterized as crazy, but (laughs) totally valid and like grounded strategies that your brain put together at one point that are just ready to be updated. Right. Exactly. It was like my coping mechanism then. And then, yeah, realizing there's other ways to cope that are healthier and different and like much more safe. Yes. Much more safe, much more like respectful of yourself. So, okay. So what, what was your why? Like, why did you want to do this work? What were you hoping to get out of it? When I started, so going back to that ex, the German ex that was very secure when we broke up, I felt very calm and like, you know what, that didn't work out. And, you know, we just weren't meant to be together. We're on different pages. Like it wasn't one of those breakups where you're spiraling and push and pull and try to get back together and what's going on. And so, and he was a very secure partner and he taught me a lot about being secure and just saying things in the moment and direct, honest communication. So when I got out of that, I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm ready to date again with that in mind. Like, this is so exciting that I had a secure partner and I can, again, bring those skills and like qualities to my next relationship. Well, when I started dating again, that did not happen. Uh. And I would date guys and they would be, you know, just guys from dating apps that I would meet while traveling and just completely spiral. And I remember last summer, I went on a date with a guy from Hinge. We had a great time. We had drinks on a rooftop. We had very deep conversations. He was super into spirituality. Like Uh. he knew his birth chart and his human design. Oh my God. And he was French. And I was like, oh my God, like what? Usually French people are not that like open and deep with their spirituality, at least the ones I've come across. So it was just like, this is so interesting. Like, what a cool guy. And then he texted me the next day and was like, hey, I had a great time last night. We had some physical relations the night before. And then that Friday, he invited me to a party. I go with all my friends and he just completely ignored me the whole Mm. party. And it was so weird and wild that the next day I just had this full mental breakdown like I was Uh. crying all morning I'm pretty sure I had an anxiety attack all my friends and I we went to a beach club and I like couldn't even enjoy my time at the beach club because I was Mm. just so like anxious and frustrated and disappointed and I just had to zoom out a little bit and be like what is going on like you went on one date with this guy and Mm. then he showed you his true colors at a party a few days later And the way like my body's reaction was almost as if we had been together for six months and he just like abandoned me with another girl. Like that Mm. was what the what it felt like. And I remember being like, this is not how I want to date. I don't want to have these types of reactions, especially with people that I haven't even invested a lot of time in. It just felt like the reactions were very disproportionate to the reality of what the relationship was. And I am a very sensitive, emotional person, and I don't think that's ever going to be not a part of me but again it was just like why am i having a mental breakdown over a guy that i went on one date with that i saw at a party and just didn't you know give me the time of day so that started to prompt me to be like this is something you need to work on because Mm -hmm. this pattern is going to repeat and it did repeat itself a few more times there were a few other guys i dated over the next six months where you know i could tell probably three dates in that we weren't going Mm -hmm. to be a long-term thing but it was the like well, let's just see this scenario happen. And he did say this one time. So that probably means this again, all the like puzzles that you're putting together. And after a few of those scenarios, I was just like, this is not how I want to date. Like this is not how I want to date. This is not how I want to live my life. This is not even going to be the way that I want to attract a partner. Like I want to attract someone based on not me feeling like I'm 
desperately like clawing at like making it work. And I'm like, that's just not the energy I want to bring into dating. So I think my experience last summer is what prompted me to be like, it's time to figure out what's going on deeper here and let's like work on it. I love it. And you specifically came to work on dating and like how you were showing up on dates, how you were meeting people. We did a lot of work on that, like how you were showing up in partnership. So I feel like the romantic area of your life was like really the focus for you. Yeah, 100 percent, because I wasn't in a relationship. And so it wasn't showing up in a committed relationship. And there was just also a pattern if you look back in my 20s and you know, earlier boyfriends and things like that, that you could see there's a pattern of just choosing people that weren't right for me, that Mm. it was just constantly needing reassurance and just guys that weren't meeting my needs and just picking, I don't know, guys that triggered me a lot. And Mm. then you create that whole push-pull dynamic. And so, yeah, it's like it was in dating. But if I also rewind a little bit, it was it's just a pattern that's shown up forever that I'm like, I'm ready to break this pattern. I'm 32 years old and I want to meet someone that can meet my needs and I understand what my needs are and that we can actually have a beautiful, healthy, like communicative relationship. I love it. I love it. It's so beautiful. And I mean, I really feel like this is the work that you did. Like this is, yeah, which is amazing. Okay. So let's talk about it. Like what helped you to start to show up more authentically in your like romantic life and your dating life? I think something that I never realized about dating was that we all have like non-negotiable needs and those Mm. need to be met as much as possible. And that was work that you and I did together that I truly had never dived into at that deep of a level before. So that was something that was kind of shocking that I was like, this is kind of wild, but I've been just out there dating and not even knowing what my needs are or Mm. how to communicate them or give them to myself. And so that was something that I think that exercise of identifying what my needs were and what my top needs were, like almost non-negotiables, like these have to be part of my life almost on a daily basis. And how can I give those to myself? That was really powerful because it added a filter for how I was dating. Where before, Mm. I think when I was dating, it was like, oh, well, I don't know, like we get along, he's open-minded. Like I would always look at qualities that they had that I liked Mm. instead of like, how are we going to work together to meet each other's needs? Like that was never yeah. a, a toggle that I had turned on. So then when we did that exercise and I had that filter now, it started to help me really run people through that filter of like, okay, can this person communicate clearly and directly and have the emotional capacity to do that? And yeah. does this person, you know, I like physical touch. So is this person open to holding hands and PDA and cuddling? And it was just such a different way for me to go into dating. So I think the needs exercise was incredible. Mm. And I also think running through scenarios, I think you would always ask me questions during our coaching, like, so what does that mean about you? Or like, what are you making that mean about you? And those types of reflective questions, I never truly at for thought about. And so I was like, well, what does that mean about me? And then I would tell you like, oh, well, it means I'm stupid or I'm weak or I'm embarrassing. And then you'd be like, well, what does it mean to be embarrassing? What, like, why do you think that about yourself and da, da, da. And so we would go deeper down these mind tracks, so to speak. And they were ways of thinking that I had never challenged myself to think before that mm. I was like, yeah, like why, you know, why is this happening? Why do I think this way? Why am I holding on to this belief? And why is it a bad thing? Like, I used to be really embarrassed about crying in front of a partner. Mm. And 
I used to express myself where pretty much any time there was conflict and I had to express myself, I'd start crying. And yeah. I used to be very, very embarrassed about that. And like, wow, you're so weak. Like you can't even have a normal human conversation without being upset. Like that's so dumb. And my go-to is just like beat myself up. And so I think the work we did together was like, you don't have to beat yourself up. There's a more compassionate way to look at this and looking in from a lens of like, you're any like enlisting strategies that helped you as a child or as a teenager, or as a kid, whatever it was to get through something. And that part of you doesn't just die just because you get older. Like, yeah. So you're just reenacting those things later. And it's, I think that gave me a lot of relief and permission to show up more authentically because I was like, I don't need to ice this part of my life out. I need to understand them and bring that into my current reality and really kind of like mold the clay of what do I want this to look like moving forward. So mm. yeah, in a long and long-winded answer, I mm. think it was the needs exercise, the like really reflective questions. And just, you know, my biggest thing with anxious attachment for me was like the direct communication. And so mm. you kind of walking, preparing me for like, okay, what is it going to, you know, how are you going to feel when you say that? I'm like, let's walk through. What does it mean if this person rejects you? What does it mean if they want to keep going? What does it mean? And I'm like, okay, walking through all those different scenarios really helped me to start being more authentic because it. I realized like I wasn't going to die if I had a direct yeah. conversation. Yeah. Which is so scary, right? Like we, that's where our brain goes. I love that you said compassionate, being compassionate for your attachment style. Cause that is like, if I could just share the number one thing with everyone, it's just have compassion for yourself. Like, <laughs> just take a beat because we've got enough sh- like shame and guilt that we're putting on ourselves all day long. Like, we don't need any any extra ounce from anywhere else, especially ourselves. No. So, I love that. You, like, I love that you said that. And honestly, the the needs, the unique needs bl- blueprint, like that was the most profound exercise that I did when I was healing my own attachment style. It was like wow, I was not even realizing that like, oh, I have all these other needs. And I get like, it was so powerful for me to be able to like, oh, I can meet my own needs and ask for them to be met. Like it's life changing. Can you share? I don't want to put you on the spot. So if you remember them, like, can you share some of your needs that maybe you were like, wow, I'm a little surprised that that's a need for me or, or something that you got like really excited about being able to like meeting a need for yourself? Oh, yeah. I still to this day, I journal every night and I write Mm. down like, how did I keep my needs today? And I write them out. So they're like at the top of my head. I think the top five I usually write down are discovery, knowledge, social, comfort, and adventure. Mm. And I think what's interesting out of all those, it's like I could have definitely told you from my travel lifestyle and bopping around all the time that like adventure and knowledge and discovery were high needs. I think the one that surprised me was comfort Mm. and how do I give myself comfort? And that's actually been pretty empowering even in my friendships where lately I don't stay out if I'm starting to feel tired. I'm like, you know what? I actually want to go home and get Uber Eats and go to bed. Like I don't need to stay out until 3 a.m. like I used to do or being comfortable in my living room watching TV. Like I'll go get a blanket. I'll put a pillow under me. I'll make myself cozy. I'll get in a cozy pajamas where... I don't think I recognized that before. And I think anyone that travels at a high level, especially backpackers, I'm not a backpacker anymore, but I used to do the whole like live in a bunk bed, Mm. crash on someone's couch. Like I used to do that whole lifestyle. And I I think because of that, I used to consider like comfort as the lowest priority Mm. because I was like, I can live anywhere. Like comfort's not important. As long as I have shelter and safety, who cares? 
But as I've gotten older and as we did that exercise, that was really shocking me that comfort actually is a huge piece of my like needs, you know, ecosystem. Yeah. And I discovered in therapy too, this just clicked as I'm talking about it. My therapist also calling out the same thing where she's like, I feel like your environment and the comfortability of your environment is actually really important to you. And then it started to click of why when I was dating my German ex, even though I was really happy with him, the environment we were in in a tiny little town in Germany and living in a like, you know, old European apartment with a bunch of roommates with mismatching furniture, like all these <laughs> things that just were not a vibe just at all. not like, scream Chelsea to me. <laughs> no, like not at all. I was just like, oh my God. And it kind of goes back. Like I'm tracing, you know, the memory here that I'm like, oh, that had to do with comfort. Like I was yeah. uncomfortable. I was not in my comfort zone at all. I'm already a traveler. So I'm always like pushing myself a little bit out of my comfort zone. So yeah, that was fascinating to be like your environment and the comfortability is a huge need for me now. Oh, that's huge. And I remember when we were doing work together, you're like, whenever I go to a new city, I'm going to pick my own Airbnb that has like a vibe that I really like that looks like it's got the things that I need. And was like, that's so huge. Because for part of it, you were like on a program. So you didn't necessarily need to do that for yourself, right? Like, right. It's kind of above and beyond. A hundred percent. And that's still important to me. Like now, even when I book plane seats, Mm. I used to, again, be like, who cares? Like, whatever, you're just going to be on a plane and fall asleep. And I'm like, well, it would be more comfortable for me to get the window seat because I fall asleep and I can lean on the window. So you just pay for the window seat that's 10 extra dollars. And that's something I never used to do before. And I think it's actually very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I don't know. I would, I don't, cool is not the word. I'm like, oh, it's so cool. But I'm like, it's just, it's very, it feels very nurturing to mm. have that comfort for myself and be able to say, it's okay to be comfortable. Like, you're allowed to be comfortable just because you live the backpacker lifestyle and travel all the time doesn't mean you need to be uncomfortable 24 7. Yeah. Yes. That's such a huge realization. I love that you said that. And for anyone listening, when you say backpacker, you're talking about like traveling, like kind of like hostile life, like, not necessarily the PCT. <laughs> like- right. Exactly. Like 100%. So backpacking, you know, you literally usually pack like a huge backpack and you're just hopping around hostels, couch surfing, yeah. working out places for accommodation, like sleeping in a guest house, sleeping in all these random places, which is what I used to do like a few wow. years ago. Wow. And it wasn't until last summer when I traveled with this group that we started staying in more like apartment style places and Airbnbs and then I, I think it finally clicked like, okay, comfort is a high need. So moving forward, we need to take spaces <laughs> and environments that are comfortable. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You're prioritizing like yourself, your needs. You're not judging them. You're honoring them. That's so huge. Thank you for sharing your specific needs. You had fun needs, which I like loved I- working on you with. I'm like, okay, cool. How can we have more adventure during your day? Like, <laughs> let's get creative yeah. here. I know. There- that's actually funny that we talked about that because- I did a whole episode, I think, on my podcast in February of like how to make every day feel like your birthday. Oh and God. it was very much incorporating something fun or exciting every week, whether that's a new dance class, art class, walk in the park, whatever. And I didn't realize how much I prioritized that until recently someone was trying to schedule something with me. And I was like, I can't even look at my calendar. So I just sent her a <laughs> screenshot of my calendar. I said, here you go. If you see a blank spot, just tell me and we can plug this in. And she goes, wow, your calendar looks really fun. Like everything I'm seeing is just like fun things to do. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like you can actually see in my schedule that I prioritize fun. So yeah, that was a really cool revelation. 
I love that. Oh, I'm glad that people can see it in the calendar. Okay, so I'd love to just like dig down a little bit into certain things that we worked on together. So, and this is kind of a big one, but I would love to hear like the fear of rejection kept coming up. And this is a really common thing, especially for the anxious, preoccupied attachment type. All attachment types, like even secure people deal with this. But I'm curious, what helped you, if anything, to start to face rejection head on and like be able to be more comfortable with it? I think for me, I had to almost stop using the word rejection because I think Mm. even that word itself holds such a weight of like, Mm. it just feels very heavy, like rejection. Like, I don't know. I literally feel so, words have feelings, right? Like there's a connotation to them. Rejection, if you think about it, like, oh, you got rejected from this college. So the call, like you weren't quote unquote smart enough or good enough to get into the college or you got rejected by your job, which means or a job, which means an interview didn't go well. So that means that better there was a better candidate. And it always frames it as like comparison. So for me, thinking of the word rejection was like, I'm not good enough. Like I'm being compared to someone else who's better or they're waiting for someone better or they found someone better. So for me, I almost had to stop using that word and just be like, where our preferences don't match up. Ugh. We're just a mismatch. We're just not aligned. We don't have the same values. That started helping me feel like I had more of a dynamic in relationships because for the longest time I felt like I wasn't contributing to the dynamic and it was very much like letting the other person control the narrative and like do whatever they want and it's on their terms and they're the driver's seat and they pick the pace of their relationship and they get to choose what stays and what goes and so for me when I started doing this work with you and especially realizing what my needs were I had to stop looking at rejection in a way of like oh they're they pick someone better. And it's just like, no, our, again, our preferences don't match up. Some people like vanilla, some like chocolate. Yeah, I don't like vanilla. And they do like, okay, that's again, that's just a mismatch. So that started to help me feel better and not so put so much weight on myself of like, oh, Chelsea, you're the problem. You did something wrong. This yeah. is your fault. Because I think that was my default. Probably a lot of anxious attachment styles yeah. default is yeah. to blame themselves. So that was the first thing was just like redefining that word. And then the second thing that really helped me was having more empathy for the other person in terms of, for example, I'm thinking of someone specific that that I was talking to during our work together, where as you know, it started to become more apparent to me that we weren't going to be a long-term fit, instead of thinking, oh, I'm the problem or I'm too needy or I'm too much mm-hmm. for him or I'm too emotional, I was like, actually, they don't have the emotional capacity to meet me where I'm at. And that's okay. That That's not a reflection of them being a bad person. If anyone is like me and listens to a lot of podcasts, I told you this too while we were working together. Whenever I go through something in dating, I start listening to all these dating podcasts and there's so much mixed messages and oh information. God, yes. And it's like, dump his ass, like forget him, you deserve better. Like, you know, move on, main character energy. And then there's a whole other side of like adult relationships require communication. They're going to be shitty. You need to buckle up and get ready for hard conversations. Like, it's okay if someone did something wrong. And I kept being so, like, in the cloud of convoluted messaging that I was like, I don't even know what I feel or, like, how to process Mm. what I'm going through. So going back to the person I was talking to during our work, instead of being like, yeah, he's an asshole, screw him. Like, he's, you know, not the one for you. I was like, or you could look at it with much more compassion and empathy and be like, he hasn't grown on his emotional journey and he doesn't have the emotional capacity to meet me at where my emotional capacity is. 
that doesn't frame him as a villain and it doesn't put him on a pedestal or make him this amazing person either. It's just like, that's where he's at in his journey. And, you know, kind of like two people going down a road. It's like at some point, one car goes left and one car goes right. And it's not a bad thing. We're just going to different places. So yeah, I'm a very visual person too, as you can probably tell using all these examples. But like that really, really helped me to not look at his rejection as a problem with me. Mm, I love that. Preferences, our preferences don't align. What a powerful reframe. And like what I love about this is it takes the sting out of it. Because when you think of the example that you just gave of like ice cream, it's like, yeah, I prefer vanilla and they like chocolate. That is like so huge because I feel like especially with the anxious preoccupied, when you think of rejection, it's so consuming. It's so overwhelming that oftentimes they don't want to reject other people because they know how painful that is. But when you think about it as just like, oh no, this is just this thing that I like. This is just this thing that I prefer. It's so much less like powerful and it takes that sting out of it. And instead it's just like, oh, actually I can think about it that way of I'm into this. They're not. This is actually like a pretty big need for me. So we don't need to like go down this road and waste a lot of time on it. <laughs> right. And I think for me, I am someone that like used to like to squeeze like every last drop out of it of like, mm. well, maybe their preferences would align if we were in the same city for longer. Or maybe if we just had three more conversations, we would get on the same page and just trying like every little puzzle piece that I could. And I think finally, especially after our work together, I was like, we don't need to keep this going for months and months and months. Like it's okay mm. to listen to your body and read this person's energy and what they're telling you and just be able to cut it off earlier and again look at it as like yep the preferences don't match up oh i love this okay and then how did you so you kind of talked you got at this a little bit i'd love to talk about what helped you to start to ask for your needs to be met and get reassurance and in a relationship so for me just knowing them really helped and i think something that i wanted to work on like i told you before was direct communication always and pretty honest communication always made me emotional and I'm start crying and I would feel like I couldn't get it out in the way I wanted because then I would just start judging myself for crying so then it was like okay now I'm not even being articulate about what I need and it's confusing and the person's like uncomfortable because they don't even know what I'm trying to say and so I was like I need a better way to approach how I state my needs mm. and so I talked to you about this where I was like I would like to come at things with a little more of a lighter like comedic approach and like funny and when I thought of couples that I really admire they always talk about how humor is such a big part of their mm. relationship or even their conflict management or how they look back at things they can look at their fights with humor and just be like oh my god remember when I was so anxious and I started crying and it's like I wanted to be in that same area we're like okay i want to be able to bring lightheartedness to this so that i don't feel so heavy when i go into direct communication so one thing that you and i had talked about was like okay how can we bring this up in a way that also doesn't feel like i'm minimizing my feelings either like because yeah. you know comedy also is meant is meant to make things lighthearted and like make it a joke but i was like i don't want it to also feel like such a joke that it's like oh you're not even taking me seriously right Right. So something that I did with someone that I was dating while me and you were working together was I just asked him, like, well, where do you think this is going? Because I'm a little confused because, you know, the last few nights we've been sleeping together and hooking up, but now we're not. And now it seems like it just felt like we weren't on the same page. And so I kind of like 
I don't even know how it exactly got brought up, but I brought up this idea of like, why don't we negotiate a contract? Like pretend we're negotiating a contract. And I was like, okay, so here's what I'm going to put in the contract. I would like you to not hook up with other people while we're on this trip. And if we go out together, I definitely don't want you to be leaving with someone else. And I'm I'm pretty much going to say when we go out together that there's a probability that we and you are going home together, or at least you're not leaving with other people and neither am I. And then he would be like, yeah, okay, I agree to that. And he's like, the thing with me is like, I don't like PDA. And I was like, okay, well, if you don't like PDA, how can we negotiate that where I still feel like I'm getting something, but not like completely, you know, thrown to the side. So that was just a really fun way for us to figure out how to get on the same page that actually was pretty direct of like, I've never told someone that. Like, I've never been like, mm. I don't want you hooking up with other people because we were not in an exclusive committed relationship. Right. So being able to communicate that, that was also huge for me. It was like, I used to have the belief, like, you can't speak for your needs until mm. you're in an exclusive committed relationship, which is funny because it's like you get into exclusive committed relationships if you are on the same page about your needs. So right. that was a huge block for me, too, is like, this guy's not even my boyfriend. You know, who are you to start? demanding things of a relationship when you're not in a relationship and i think that was really helpful to like bring some comedy into it and lightheartedness but also being direct okay so let's also talk about putting people on a pedestal because this is a really real common anxious preoccupied thing and fearful avoidant i should add too so putting people on a pedestal i'm just going to kind of paint the picture of what it is in case people are like what is this Putting people on a pedestal is when you're like going on dates with them and you're just thinking like, oh my God, they're just so amazing. And they're in this like, maybe like a different tier of dating. And I just couldn't possibly even be on the same level as them. Anytime you're thinking about levels, this is like a sign that you're thinking about this and and you're putting them on a pedestal. And so I'm curious, like what helped you to start to take people off the pedestal? Or as I like to say, bring your pedestal up to their level because we don't need to bring anyone down. I think we just need to bring up all of us just like up to the same level. Yeah, I think what helped me was we did a pedestal exercise where you're like, okay, what are all the reasons you're putting this person on a pedestal? And you know, I'd have five to seven reasons or something. And you're like, okay, do you see yourself in some of those things? Like, oh, they're well-traveled. It's like, okay, so are you. Oh, well, they're highly educated. Oh, so are you. You got masters. Oh, well, they, I don't know, they're really fun and they always try new things during the week. Well, look at your calendar. So do you. And it was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Like you just have to really take a step back and do that type of reflection, which I never did before. And I think for me, um, yeah, bringing myself up was the better option instead of being like, I'm going to bring them down. Because my tendency for my 20s was if something didn't work out, to completely villainize the person and that mm. never felt good because then it made me feel bad about myself of like, well, why are you always choosing villains? And why are you always choosing assholes? Like that must mean you have low self-esteem. So I was like painting these people that I don't work things out with as villains isn't helpful mm. in my growth at all. And it doesn't allow me to view myself in it in a different light. And so instead of being like, oh, they're a villain, they're an asshole, da da da, I was like, okay, we don't need to bring them off a pedestal. I like the bringing yourself up because it shows like you actually do have a lot to offer and bring to the table. And um, I think a big piece of that too was realizing everything I'm bringing to the table doesn't always have to be about impressive like achievements with work and, you know, lifestyle milestones. Like there's just so many other things that people bring to the relationships that are abstract. 
that that was a really like interesting exercise for me to do in my outside of relationships too, just for my own like self perception was like, okay, I'm not just my achievements or what I've done is with my work. Like there's so much more to me. And I think that started to allow me to look at myself differently and then obviously approach dating differently too. Mm. Oh, so beautiful. It was in such profound work. It, the thought came back. It's the here. The thought came back. It's here. I wrote it in the chat so I wouldn't forget it. So I was just telling you how I felt like in casual relationships that I couldn't speak my knees because it's like you're casual. Like mm. you're on an exclusive relationship. It's not your boyfriend. And I think, think something that massively helped me during our work together was like the casual is very subjective and means different things to different people. And I brought up an example of my friend that she has a casual relationship with this guy when she said in her own words, when we're together, we're practically married. We do everything together. We act like a married couple. And when we're not together, we're not together. We don't really talk that much. We don't really ask kind of, you know, don't ask, don't tell policy. But while we're in the same place and we have our time together, we're full on like holding hands, going out, having sex, going to dinners together. And that dynamic shocked me because I was like, oh, I'm used to casual in like the college setting of like, we'll hook up late at night. You'll come over drunk after the bar. You know, we'll get an Uber home in the morning, maybe get a bagel and like go on our merry way. And so that's the way I was thinking of casual was just the very like collegiate way of doing it. <laughs> and you're work, you're like, you can define what a casual relationship means. Yeah. So you're allowed to say, hey, I, I'm fine with being casual in terms of like this has an expiration date, but I'm I'm actually expecting that like we will hang out sober during the day and you're not going to hit me up at midnight to come over and I don't want you hooking up with other people. And I was like, whoa, that feels really scary to because to me that sounds like the demands of a, an exclusive relationship. And funny enough, the dynamic that it turned out to be the whole time I was dating this person was because I defined the nature of what I thought was casual and what my needs were. And so basically the the whole time we were physically together, it turned out to be the way I wanted it to be. And mm. I was like, oh, look at that. You communicated your needs, honestly <laughs> and directly. You told what you expected. You told what you didn't want to happen. And they agreed and it worked out. So I was like, wow, it's such a testament to like your work and also just being honest and vulnerable and direct usually gets you what you want faster. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And this is like, it's a very common anxious preoccupied thing as well as needing reassurance. And I feel like what I, I just want to share with anyone that's struggling with this anxious or attachment type is like, it's okay to ask for reassurance. And I want you to find a partner that is going to be able to give it to you. And if you're not in a relationship where they, where they are able to give you reassurance, I really want you to figure out like, is this meeting my needs? Because that it's not over the top or too needy. And you're not a burden for having that need. This is just one of your many needs. And like, it's the thing that makes you uniquely you. So being able to like ask for that from a partner, having the tools to directly communicate and making it lighthearted is like, that's the work. I think it's so important. 100% agree. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Okay. Tell us. So you were hot and heavy with specifically one person while we were really working together. And I'm curious, now that you're kind of through it, it's mostly done, what tools are you using to really <laughs> get over him and also still be in the group with him and reminded of him constantly? Yeah, that's a great question. It's interesting because I've never been in a dynamic where I've been with someone that's like 
in a friend group and mm. you always hear people say like don't hook up with people in the friend group it's gonna mess up the dynamic and especially if you're traveling in these travel groups and I definitely broke that rule for myself and I could see why people don't do that because you're in the normal grieving process of moving on from someone there for me what helps me is like a no contact rule like we're not contacting each other not following each other like pretty much out of sight out of mind mm. and I've actually gotten pretty fortunate with most of my exes and flings that like when we end I truly don't talk to them and see them again and so it's a lot easier for me to move on this particular relationship this person is friends with a lot of my friends we're in the same travel group so we have a lot of networking like hubs that we're in and so I can see when he posts and where he's going and there's just a lot that I've never had to deal with before and so in coping I'm like okay there needs to be something that you do that's not just like hopefully one day this ends because that was kind of my mm. strategy before it was like oh this will pass and just like you know ignore it I'm like that's obviously not working so for me I was like okay how can I take control of the things that I can control like if I work best with a no contact rule then I need to communicate to this person so I told him during our work together like I actually think it's best if we just stop texting and communicating and you know, I need space in order to like move on from this. And then we actually started texting a little bit again and we got into the same cycle and I had to say the same thing again where I was mm. just like, hey, this actually is like preventing me from moving on. I really need to truly have space and like not talk to you every day. It just gives me mixed signals. And I'm like, for sure, I wouldn't have been able to say that without the work that you and I did together because mm. I think I would have just kept the texting going and like, oh, it'll, the whole thing, it'll fizzle out. And I'm like, that's not my personality. Like, I need finality to yeah. things. I need things to be ended. I need a clear cutoff date. So for me, like, the fizzle out method, like, doesn't work for me. So yeah, I said, okay, we're going to tell him that. And then as much as I could control with the no contact thing, I was like, okay, well, I need to mute him on Instagram. I need to, you know, delete any messages or anything that we share where I can see him. Like, that helped me a lot. And then also going back to how can I have my needs met? that was something that you kind of prepared me for of like this person was meeting a lot of your needs mm. so it's going to be very jarring to your nervous system when you stop communicating with them because you're going to have all those needs rocked a little bit so how can you meet those needs yourself and at first I was like what is she talking about like how could I meet my needs I can't do that like how can I right. meet my own needs like a right. partner is supposed to do that and it wasn't until I really thought about it and we started ideating of like okay well how am I going to meet my needs for this and that and the other thing and that started that journaling exercise helped me because it started giving me prompts of like you need to prepare ahead this is not something you're going to figure out in the moment you know what I mean like tomorrow morning you need to figure out how you're going to give yourself affirmation and discovery and fun etc and not depend on someone else so planning ahead for that really helped mm -hmm. me and enlisting support like talking to you all the time, talking to my therapist, having friends that I knew I could go to, taking care of myself and my body. Because like I've said before, my anxiety manif manifests a lot in my gut. And so I was like, okay, how can we take care of that? You need to eat more nourishing foods. You need to cook for yourself. You need to do Pilates and yoga and more slow, gentle movement to like really hold yourself in these physical spaces. Mm. And journaling and reading and just staying busy in terms of like, busy with things that I like to do that would get my needs met. Those were like huge, huge support systems for me and like solutions for me to not feel like 
I was, you know, rocked off my complete center of gravity when I ended things. Mm. Oh, my God. I love that. One of the things I remember specifically that you and I were working on for your needs is intimacy. And I'm so curious. Like, I actually really loved working with you on that because I was like, how do you break down intimacy? Like, there's a lot of different parts, right? There's physical touch. And then there's also just that, like, deep emotional connection and then attention. And so I'm curious, like, did you ever find anything that, like, helped you kind of meet that need? Um, My vibrator was the first one. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. I think that was actually, that was the most confusing one because that was a big piece of our relationship was the physical nature. And so that was something that was like very shocking to the system to not all of a sudden be cuddling with someone and hooking up with them, et cetera. So yeah, I think that was a big one. And then realizing like with friends and hugging them and like, you Mm. know, when you're sitting on the couch with someone, like you like lean into them a little bit and just small, subtle ways to build like physical intimacy. Also... I was like, this sounds wild, but I'm like, what are ways that I can't depend on my friends that I could go out to the world and find like physical touch? And you helped me ID through this too, was like getting a massage. Mm. When I go to get my hair blown out, they always do that nice little head massage. Mm. And like, that was really nice. When I go get a pedicure, they always massage your feet. So I was like, okay, how can I bring those things into my life? I will say to me, I haven't found anything that's replaced like cuddling with someone Mm. that you really like. But I will say I have found other ways that like sort of are adjacent to it. This sounds, ah, I'm just thinking about this right now. Like this sounds kind of funny, but sometimes I'll even have my pillow and I'll like cuddle with my pillow yeah. to just have that like, you know, that actual feeling there of like there's something against my chest and there's yeah. something that I'm like holding, like wrapping my arms around. Yeah. And that actually does help me like fall asleep a little bit better. So that's oh. been helpful too. God, I love it so much. It's great work. Really great work. That was a tough one. And I feel like that's like, I, I hope that people listening can like get creative inspiration from that because intimacy is such a, an important part of any relationship. And when when you're going through a breakup, it's like oh, exactly what you just said. Like you've got to prepare for how you're going to get those needs met on your own because that is, it can feel like a death. Like it can feel like- yes. Like your life is going to be over because you're not going to have those needs being met. So great work. Great work getting creative thank on you. that. Yeah. And thank yeah, you yeah, for yeah. helping. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. Okay. So what would you just say to someone that is struggling currently with anxious attachment? I would say the first thing is to hire Sarah. The <laughs> second thing is to go figure out what your needs are. Because like I said, to me, that was probably the most transformational thing. Because if you actually break down the anxious attachment, it's... I mean, you know this better than I do, but like for me, it's that that reassurance. But it's like I don't even know what I'm being reassured on if I don't know my needs. Like I don't, you know what I mean? Like reassurance verbally is important to me, but it's like there I have had partners that have verbally reassured me, but there's other pieces missing, and I was like, oh, again, because I didn't know my needs and that they weren't being met at all. So I think if you're anxious, you need to have someone help you, like Sarah, go through that Mm. needs exercise and figure out what your needs even are. I think the second thing that helped me a lot was realizing that I can meet a lot of those own needs. I really used to think, and it's work that I still have to do, that that only someone else can do this for me and that I'm not capable of doing this by myself. And that's just not true. So I think knowing that you are capable of meeting your own needs is huge. I also think having some type of embodiment or like body-based practice Mm. is essential. Like I don't think if I didn't do breath work or no like I know when I get anxious I have to take deep breaths so I'm like okay hold on 
like, you're going to be okay. You're fine. And I can feel it like bubbling up. So having some type of, yeah, physical support is really helpful. I've been doing a lot here in Mexico City. I've been doing breath work. I did like a shroom sound bath the other day. I'm doing a lot of Pilates, a lot of walking just to get more in tune with my body. And that's been really, really helpful, like cleansing. Mm. And then journaling has also helped a lot because Mm. for me, I think a part of anxious attachment is like you're chronically an overthinker about certain things and you're always, again, doing that imaginary math. And so for me, getting things down on paper of like, let's write this out. Let's just get like brain dump what's going on here. That always helped me. And then being able to self-acknowledge when I was doing something that served me and my needs. Because Mm. I think a lot of us, especially anxious if you're scared of rejection, don't give ourselves credit for when we do actually directly communicate or when we do take a stand for our needs or when we speak up. So for me, that was a, a paramount thing in my journey was you need to actually write down how far you've come instead of looking at, oh, this relationship went wrong and this guy didn't work out and da da da. It's like, I would have never, like I told you, that whole fake contract negotiation I had with that guy. I'm like, I would have never done that six months to a year ago. So acknowledging myself and giving myself credit of like, you're having the direct, honest conversations. You are telling people how you feel. You are being very vulnerable. That like kind of hyping yourself up exercise helped me a lot. And I would say the last thing is having support systems. Like outside of you, I don't think that I would have done well if I didn't have like really good friends and and the therapist and space to process things. Like I'm a verbal processor. So, you know, the Voxer we had was so, so helpful. Mm. And also knowing that there were certain friends that I could turn to that would help me was was really important because I think if you're anxious and you're in your head all the time, you start to feel like you're a burden to other people and then you're just mm. like spirals even more and you're like, oh, well, now I'm needy and I'm desperate and no one wants to help me and I need to, you know, kind of just suffer in silence. And I mm. think anxious people need to have an outlet to like really process and connect with people. And again, whether that's therapy, whether that's Sarah, whether that's a friend, like that was really, really important to me to have a different perspective moving forward. Mm, I love it. Thank you for saying all of that. That's beautiful. And I just want to add that like your approach to it, you were so willing to take a look at yourself. You were so willing to be like, okay, what is going on here? What am I not seeing? And you were like willing to go deep and like, you know, really be introspective and be open to thinking about it in a different way. Yeah. I think these are like really important things for coaching and making people like coachable. So great work on just like being open to a different possibility and being ready for change. Oh, thank you. I was, I was ready. I was like, let's, let's go there. Let's get the let the gear on and let's go down into the cave and start like excavating because I just knew too in the future the type of partner I wanted to attract it was not going to happen without doing this type of work and that was really important to me it was like this isn't only for dating this is like for my future family for my future marriage like I need to work on this because unfortunately direct honest communication does not stop after dating, like keep, yeah. keep having to do it <laughs> in marriage and relationships and at work. So I was like, well, this is probably a skill you need to learn beyond just dating. So that was really important to me too. Oh, so good. I love it. Well, is I know we're at time, but I'm just curious, is there anything else that you want to tell listeners about the work that we did together or anything else? No, I think, I think knowing your attachment style 
sometimes it's so helpful for me to understand what my attachment style was. But what I will say is like, don't get so attached to your attachment style that you're not willing to change because I think that was something big for me was, you know, we love identities and labels to like be able to make sense of the world. And I think labels create meaning making systems. But I noticed for me, there was a period where I was like, maybe if I just stop saying I'm anxious, attached all the time and being like, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, I'm anxious. It would allow me to disassociate a little bit from that label. And I think that's something important is like, it's okay to understand your anxious attachment to be able to work on it. And then be like, you know what, I'm actually moving to secure and I feel more secure. And I'm like, I am a secure person kind of affirming yourself that because yeah, I just think if you get too attached to the attachment styles, that can be a bit detrimental too. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. And it's so true. So true. Yes. Oh, well, congrats on all this work. And I'm so thank you for suggesting doing this and doing this with me and I'm excited for your journey because I feel like you are like poised. You're just like, you've got the systems down. You're doing the work and like you are ready to attract a partner that is like really meeting all of your needs. Yes. Amen. Thank you. And once again, everyone like Sarah was absolutely paramount in this journey. So thank you for all that you did for me. Oh, it was a delight and a pleasure. All right. Well, thank you so much. And we're just going to have to have you back on the pod in the future to talk again yes. about, you know, another topic that we don't know what it is yet. <laughs> Maybe me and my future partner will come on and we'll be like, oh, my, oh God. my God. That would be I would so amazing. Die. I would die. I can't wait that now that we've said it, it's going to happen. Amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That is it for today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed. I hope this gives you some incredible insight on the anxious preoccupied attachment type and just some like hopefully simple approachable tools that you can use to heal your anxious preoccupied attachment type. As we both said during the interview, I hope you just give yourself so much compassion for where you're at and where you want to be. And yeah, I wish you the best of luck on healing your attachment type. If you're interested in working with me, I would love to do a free discovery call with you to see if this program is the right fit for you. I work in a one-on-one capacity with folks through weekly coaching calls. And like Chelsea mentioned, if you sign up for the program, you get access to text coaching. So you have access to me basically 24-7. And I would just love to help you show up securely in relationships through working on your communication, understanding your deep-rooted beliefs that are getting in the way of you receiving true, authentic love, and really helping you figure out how to work through the feelings and the somatic emotions that you are experiencing so that you can process them quicker, show up more vulnerably, and really be a secure base for you and your partner or your future partner, whoever they may be, whatever gender they are. I would love to work with you. If you're interested in signing up for a free discovery call, this is a great call. You get to learn more about your own unique attachment style and what is possible for you with this work. You can sign up at sarahcohan.com forward slash coaching. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com forward slash coaching. I would love to see you there. Don't be shy. (laughs) 
And thank you so much. I'll see you back here next week. <laughs>